because we're going to be in this series for a few months on the Gospel of, of John, and we're calling it Representing Jesus because it's important for us to continually look with fresh eyes at the person and work of Christ because many people, including people who've been in church for many, many years, have a superficial and incomplete view of who Jesus is. You know, we might even know sort of the greatest hits of who Christ is, right? Like, okay, he's God's son. He died for our sins. He said stuff like, love your neighbor. We have to believe in him to go to heaven. We might even remember a few of the memorable stories of his life, right? Like, okay, I know the Christmas story about his birth. I know he turned water into wine at some point. I think he walked on water. I heard about that one. You know, all these healings, maybe his, his resurrection. But the truth is we neglect so much about what he said, what he did, and why he said and did all of those things. And here's the danger if we fail to look deeply at who Christ is. We will find ourselves following someone who resembles Christ, but isn't actually what we find in the Gospels. It's not who he actually was. Or for people who don't believe in Christ, you might actually find yourself rejecting Jesus based on a false impression of him. And, and so, for example, I, I think a very common false impression of Christ, particularly in modern America, which is very individualistic and achievement-oriented, is that Jesus is someone whose kind of main role is to help us self-actualize. Like, he's there to help us achieve our dreams and, and accomplish our agendas and just kind of be happy. That is not who Jesus is. That is not the nature of his call. He is so much better than that. And so we have to look again and again at who he is. If we make false assumptions about the identity of Christ, we actually set a trap for ourselves, which we step into when we go through a painful or confusing season in life. We go through a dark valley in life because a false notion of Jesus cannot give us hope or comfort. But the real Jesus can, and he wants to, and he does. So we have to continually remind ourselves about who Jesus really is and pursue an ever-deepening relationship with him. And John is going to be our guide to do that over the next couple of months. So if you brought your Bible, turn with me to John 1, 1. We're going to start right at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Um, if you're not familiar with the layout of Scripture, the Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It's after Luke and before Acts. So we're going to start in John 1, 1. <clears throat> Soon after Jesus' life, um, the four Gospels were written down, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are our historical records of Jesus' life, what he said and did. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were the first three to circulate among the early churches, um, and John was, he wrote his last. And there was a problem in the early church, in the first century church. The, as the message of Jesus spread and as the church grew, there were misunderstandings that were starting to crop up about who Christ is. For example, some people believed he was God, but they had a hard time believing he was actually human like us. They believed like, well, he was God, but he just kind of looked human. He wasn't actually human. And so that sprung up, which is not a biblical view, but that was out there. There was also people who felt the other thing, well, I can accept that he was human. I saw him, but I don't think he's fully divine like God. Like he's not quite there. And so these misunderstandings were out there, 
John was in Jesus' inner circle. John, not only was he one of the 12 disciples, but when you read the Gospels, you find that within the 12 disciples, there was an inner group of three that were the closest to Jesus. That was John and his brother James and also Peter. And even within those three, John seems to have been Jesus' closest friend. He, he was the one who was just around Jesus all the time. And so John, as the, as the message of Jesus spread out, he saw these misunderstandings cropping up, and he knew who Jesus was very well. And so in a sense, what John was doing when he wrote his gospel was representing Jesus. He was reintroducing people to Christ because he felt the church needed a fuller, deeper understanding of who Christ is. So let's open up our hearts and minds now and allow our view of Jesus to clarify and deepen uh, as we follow what John says. So he starts out, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's stop there. So when John wrote his gospel, everyone kind of knew the basics of Jesus' life. Like they knew the kind of Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, Bethlehem. They knew that whole story. John felt we have to rewind our uh, origin story of Jesus back past his physical birth on earth back to when uh, he, you know, eternally existed into the time before the world was even created. Because John felt we can't understand Jesus if we think his story starts in the manger in Bethlehem, because it didn't. So John starts off, he says, in the beginning. Highlight that if you're taking notes. In the beginning. Um, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because it is a deliberate echo of the very first words in the whole Bible in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John was signaling with the first three words of his gospel that he wants his readers, you and me, to be thinking about creation, the creation of the universe, to be kind of in the world of Genesis 1. And he says, in the beginning was the word. Highlight that. In the context of John's prologue, the word is Jesus. That's his term for Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, the word. I'll tell you in a moment what he meant by calling him the word. He says, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Highlight with God and was God. This is a really amazing little moment in Scripture because it's just a passing glance at the biblical concept of the Trinity, right? The, the idea that there's one God in three persons, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, Jesus. And so you see that here, you know, Jesus was with God, and he also was God. So he is God, but he's with God. The relationality within God the Trinity is sort of in view here. Um, Jesus was with God, and he was God. Through him, verse 3, all things were made. So John is setting this up, Christ as creator. Christ as creator. John wants us to know Jesus in this way. That's why he calls him the Word. 
Because when you go to Genesis 1, which John has already sort of signaled us to do by saying in the beginning, when you go to Genesis 1, you see God created the universe through the power of his word. He spoke the universe into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. So the word of God in Genesis is the manifestation of God's creative power. Jesus is that word, John is telling us. Nothing has come into existence outside of Jesus's creative power. Now, it also says, in him was life. Highlight that. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. So Jesus, as creator, is the giver of all life. And the life he offers is a light to the whole world. So what John's doing in this prologue, he seems to be counteracting a view that Jesus was merely human. That he was just sort of, you know, a human who did some miracles. Jesus' life did not begin when he was born in the flesh in Bethlehem. Jesus is eternal. He is the creator. He is fully God. This is a much deeper view of Jesus than many of us often think about and that many people in John's day were thinking about. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, He came only as a witness to the light. Now here, the author John is not talking about himself. He's talking about John the Baptist, whose role was to basically get everybody ready for Jesus' arrival and point and say, Jesus is the way, follow him. Um, So that was kind of just a little side comment that the author John made there. Let's keep reading verse 9. He's continuing here to describe Jesus. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So this is what John's telling us. Christ, the eternal creator, stepped into his own creation. That's the picture he's painting. He stepped into his own creation. But even though he did that, highlight this, the world did not recognize him. Overall, he was not rec- the, the, the creation did not recognize its creator when it arrived. And we know this is true. I mean, obviously there were people who followed Christ then and now, but there were people in the first century who knew Jesus, who saw him, who watched him perform miracles, who saw him die, saw him be buried, saw him rise again afterwards, and still rejected him. Even his antagonists, the the leaders in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and other temple, uh, the priests who were against Jesus, they basically said, we can't keep, let Jesus keep doing all these miracles because if he does, keeps doing all these miracles, everyone's going to believe in him. So even seeing him do these manifestations of his power, there were people who, who wouldn't accept him. And John is telling us there's essentially two reactions to Christ. Some reject and some receive. And he tells us that those who do receive him, highlight this, they're given the right to become children of God. 
So through relationship with Christ, the living word of God, we are welcomed into God's family. This is an incredible idea. We are not God's acquaintances. Through Christ, we are welcomed in into a close family relationship with God Almighty, with Christ the Creator. And by the way, this is something that doesn't come through our effort. Verse 12, it says, those who've received Christ, look at this, highlight this word. He gave the right to become children of God. Not, you earned it, you know, you made yourself acceptable, and therefore he said, okay, fine, you can be in my family. He gave the right to become children of God. He wants us to be. And then look at the last few words of the section. It says, if you've been saved by Christ, you've been, highlight this, born of God. If you believe in Christ, if you trust him for salvation, John is telling us God gives you the gift of inviting you into his family, which is like a new birth. You've been born of God. It's a new life. So far, John has painted this picture that Jesus has existed forever. He created the world. He stepped into that world he created and offers us new life through faith in him and the, the joy of becoming a part of his family. I want to look at just one more verse. Everything's been crescendoing toward this verse, verse 14. It says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the first verses that we looked at in this chapter, John seems to be counteracting the view that Jesus isn't really God. Like he was human, not really God. And he says, no, no, no. He was, he was involved in creation. He is God. Now with this verse, John seems to be counteracting the other side. People who might have believed he was divine, but couldn't believe he was actually human. Because he says, highlight this word, the word became flesh. And John was very deliberate to choose that word. He wrote the Gospel of John originally in the Greek language. And he doesn't use a polite word like, well, the word became a human. Or he had a body or something like that. You know, a polite word like that. He chose the word flesh, which was a very graphic word. It was used in his ancient world to refer to muscles and tendons and tissue and animal meat and human flesh too. John was saying that the eternal divine creator, the one who invented light and galaxies and our earth and life itself, that creator wrapped himself in bones and muscle and tendons and blood and skin. It's quite a powerful image. It's a very vivid picture. Let there be no doubt Jesus was actually human. And then he tells us something about Jesus' character. Highlight this. He came full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now, the adjective full applies to both grace and truth. So it's not saying Jesus was 50-50. He was like half grace, half truth. He was 100% full of both grace and truth. Grace is undeserved favor. Treating people better than they deserve. Truth is the way things actually are, the way God sees them. Jesus spoke and embodied truth, and not just truth. He didn't come to just drop truth on us or hit us over the head with Scripture. He also offered His grace in a relationship. Grace for the many ways that we sin and fall short so that those things could be overcome and we could be in relationship with Him. So let's step back for a moment after having gone through this prologue, chapter 1, 
um, in the Gospel of John. Uh, you might be thinking, Ryan, like, wow, this is really like pie-in-the-sky stuff. How does this like, relate to my life? Let me assure you that there is nothing more practical and important to your spiritual life than having a proper view of God and yourself. Because many of life's struggles and painful confusions flow out of misunderstandings about who God is. They can, they can be traced back to that root issue. And I think that this passage in John 1 corrects two very common misunderstandings that cause people a lot of grief. Um, and there are two things that we think of as either-ors. And John says, nope, they're both ands. So let's look at those. There's two kind of both ands in John 1 that I believe will enable us to see Christ a little more in his fullness. The first is that Jesus is both divine and human. He is both, fully both, fully God, fully human. It's not either or. It's a both and. It's also not like he's one at a time, like on Tuesday he's human, and the next day he's like, I got to do a miracle today. I'm divine today. But tomorrow, you know, I'm gonna, I've got a dinner plan, so I'm going to be human again. So, so that's not true either. Fully human, fully divine, both at the same time. And if we're going to know Jesus as he is, we have to simultaneously affirm both of those. He is infinitely powerful and eternal, and also he walked in our shoes and knows what it's like to go through life as we do. But we often don't affirm these both. Or we think we do, but in practice, we actually don't. Let me just give you a couple kind of diagnostic things to think through about whether you really do lift up both his divinity and humanity at the same time. Here's how you might know if you focus primarily on his divinity. You have an appropriate sense of awe and reverence for Christ. You take God seriously. That's all good. But you often feel like he's remote. He doesn't understand you. He's unapproachable. He might seem a little cold. You wonder if he even notices you. The other side of the coin, here's how you might know if you're focused primarily on his humanity. You believe Jesus understands you, that he cares about you, that he sympathizes with you. This is good. This is true. But perhaps you lack a certain reverence for him. He's your buddy. You know, you take his commandments as suggestions. You're unsure he has the power to help you in the hardest times of life. And you might just be sort of taking him for granted generally. I think that's a result of maybe focusing too much on his humanity and forgetting his divinity. We have to hold up both of his divinity and humanity at the same time to see who Jesus really is. All-powerful, a source of life and truth, and also someone who understands us, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. He gets it. He gets it. The other both and established in John 1, we saw at the very end, it's grace and truth at the same time. Grace and truth. We have to simultaneously affirm that he is gracious, he loves us and treats us better than we deserve, and also that he is truth. He defines right and wrong. He determines what glorifies him and what is sin. But it's hard for us to simultaneously affirm those two because in our minds they seem sort of almost contradictory. 
But here, G- John is saying, Jesus came full of grace and truth. They're both true. So again, a little kind of diagnostic exercise. Here's how you might know if you are focused primarily on Jesus' grace. You know you're loved by him. You don't have a sense of entitlement about your salvation. You believe that you're loved by him. That's all true. It's all good. But you're light on truth. Jesus never challenges you. He only affirms you. You don't view him as someone calling you to surrender your opinions and agendas and follow him. He's just basically there to pat you on the back. He does not judge. That's a grace-only lens. On the other side of it, here's how you know if you're focused primarily on truth. You believe Jesus is divine, the determiner of right and wrong. You take him seriously. You have reverence for him. That's all great. That's good. But you don't, you don't feel warmth from him. Um, you wonder if you measure up. You have feelings of inadequacy and fear. You wonder where you stand with Jesus because you don't see him as a gracious God. You see him ready to zap you when you make a mistake. A byproduct of this, if you're a truth person when it comes to Christ, is you become a truth person toward everybody else. Because you're all about truth. This is what the Bible says. I'm just calling people out. Grace is nowhere to be found. Grace is not part of your spiritual ecosystem. You have to see it in Christ and experience it yourself to be able to then offer it to the world around you. If we want to know Jesus as he is, we have to hear what John is saying. He is both the all-powerful eternal creator and also the man from Galilee who had siblings and a job and relationship struggles and illnesses and everything else we go through. He is both of those things. And he is both grace and truth embodied. He loves us. He treats us better than we deserve. And also he's the definitive source of truth. He defines reality, right and wrong, and calls us to live a certain way. We have to see these both ends at work in Christ if we are going to see him as he actually is and as the gospel writers described him. And if we do this, if we see Jesus as John did, we will find him to be the ultimate source of life and light, of encouragement and truth. And as we seek to understand Jesus in this way, we can ask for his grace for the journey. We can say, Jesus, I want to know you as you are. I want to follow you as you are. I want to have a right view of you, but left to my own devices, I am going to warp you in my mind. I'm going to remake you in my image or whatever image I think you should be. So Holy Spirit, would you guide my thoughts and my heart and lead me into a true uh, relationship with you and a sense of who you are? We can ask for his help to think rightly about him. Now, look, I I think uh, it's true that we all come in here in different places spiritually. Some of you, um, you read, you know, divine and human grace and truth, and and you believe that. And and you look at your spiritual life for years, and it's like, yeah, I believe this is true. I, I interact with Jesus as a source of truth and also a source of grace. And I know that he understands me because he walked in my shoes. And I I know that he's the creator. Like, you live all this out. And that is amazing. That's a fruit of the Spirit's work in your life. And so for you, I think, as we engage with John 1, if, if you feel like you're in that place, I think for you the prayer is, Lord Jesus, help me to maintain this view of you. 
Because if I walk through something really hard or unexpected, a loss or a broken relationship or a financial calamity or whatever it comes, my tendency is going to be to think of you wrongly. It's to start to have a, a totally different view of you that doesn't resemble this. And so don't take for granted if you've come to a place of believing this. Ask the Spirit to continue to shape you and to give you this, this um, view of Him. I think many of us, though, may come in kind of light on one or the other of these. You know, we're truth people and we need to really interact with Him uh, on a grace level or vice versa. Or, you know, we mainly think of him as divine, but we don't feel like he understands us. And the humanity thing, we've got to really kind of, um, you know, bolster that. And so I think if you're looking at these categories and you're like, yeah, I think I'm a little light on one of these. And my view of Jesus is a little off. I think the prayer is to, to recalibrate all this, to say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you as you are. And I acknowledge my view of you is a little off. And so would you help, you know, bring that into focus and help me to respond accordingly? Also, there may be someone in this room who has never placed their trust in Christ. You've never come into relationship with God before. Maybe because you've never heard this. You, you may have never heard this, this whole idea that, that God loves you, that he gave himself for you. Um, or maybe you've kind of heard like sort of the Cliff's Notes of the Christian message, but you've never had a chance to really engage with this on a deeper level and see the fullness of who Jesus actually is. So maybe there's those of you who've never really heard this, or some of you who have pushed God away because of a false impression of who he is. Or maybe a, someone who is a Christian in your life you felt wasn't a good representative of Christ or hurt you. And you have then taken their misrepresentation of Christ and overlaid it over Jesus as if he, his nature is affected by the bad example of someone you've interacted with. So wherever you are there, if, if you're at a distance from God, whatever the reason is, I want you to understand that he loves you beyond imagination. He is fully divine, which means he can give you life and he can lead you through this life into a truly joyful life, something that really matters. He was human, which means he understands you. There's nothing you go through that he didn't go through. He's there. He sympathizes with you. He's full of truth, which means the path he's going to lead you on is not just, you know, one of many paths that you could choose. This is the one that is going to give you true purpose and meaning and joy in your life. And also he's the giver of grace, which means unconditional and unimaginable love. And that he draws you into his family, not because of how good you are, but because of his love for you. I mean, we sang this earlier that he... He is our resting place, and our life is found in him. This is what John is talking about. I mean, he said in, in the first chapter there, to all who receive him, who receive Christ, who believe in his name. So you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to work hard to make yourself acceptable to God. You've just placed your trust in Christ, and you say, Lord Jesus, I need to be saved. I am a person who... Um, is a sinner and I, I don't have direction in my life and I need you to rescue me and I want to be part of your family. Would you wash me clean of my sins, bring me into your family and put my life on the path that you would want me to be on? It's as simple as that. And if you do that, if you believe in his name, he gives you the right to become children of God, his children. Again, not an acquaintance, one of his children. So I want to give you a couple of moments. Um, 
as uh, Caleb and the, the band are going to come back up here, I want to give you a couple of moments um, just to pray to yourself silently about where you stand on all this, your view of Jesus. And, and I want you, you know, if, you, if you're a person that you feel like your view of Christ is right, again, pray that God helps you to maintain that. If you're a person that needs to recalibrate, ask for his help. And, and if you're a person who has never placed uh, your faith in Christ, this would be a great opportunity for you to, for you to do that and just pray. And, and you might even still have big questions. I think some people have the, the misconception that if you're going to come into a relationship with Christ, it's like you have to have everything figured out first, all of your questions answered, then you can invite Christ in your life. No, he invites you to come and to discover all about him in the context of relationship. Because there's a certain, I mean, we can't really know Christ outside of relationship with him. So if you don't know Jesus, it could be a prayer along the lines of, I want to know you. There are big questions I have. Would you save me and then lead me on this path of growing in knowledge of you and, and following you in my life and help me deal with these questions I have and the pain and everything I have going on? And he'll do it. So I want to give you a moment just to pray wherever you are, uh, wherever you, you know, whatever you walk in here with, to just pray and invite God to change you in whatever way you need to change. So take a couple of minutes and do that, uh, and then I'll close this in prayer.